This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. And welcome back, movie nerds, to another episode of the Art House Roadshow. I am Hank, joined here today by my colleague and superior in every way. Kyle Myers, uh, sure, how are sure you doing, that's Kyle? Not true, I'm fine. Yeah, um, <laughs> you all just yeah. utterly reject that, but but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah. you are fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, I'm doing um, pretty well actually. Yeah, October's uh, typically a good and fun month, uh, generally speaking. So it's going well. Yeah, I love the fall weather. I think one yeah. of my favorite things about living kind of more in the Northeast is that we do have more seasons, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. It's also spooky movie season that's so right i think about last year uh <laughs> is around this time that we were talking about the halloween um, yeah. ends movie and that what that turned out to be yeah um, i still i need to go back and see it because i think i was being uncharitable maybe but at the same time i just i have such a love for the first halloween film and then the the 2017 sequel that they made uh-huh. like i loved both of those films the last two um, I have different feelings about, but, um, you know, I think that I, this is always the season where I do that. So I need to prioritize. Yeah, that. for sure, man. Yeah. Well, right. me too. I was thinking about the third one and how, um, you know, it went in a different direction, but sometimes that can spawn a different experience on return viewings mm-hmm. because you're not expecting it. You know, your expectations are gone. Right. And now you're just sitting with the film that is, mm-hmm. and you know, that can be, that can be good. Yeah, I yep. think so. Um, I think so. Do you have any movies that you prioritize to watch this time of year? Like, are you on a yearly cycle? Yeah. Uh, well, definitely, you know, the Hitchcocktober thing that's hosted at Gateway every October uh, with a lot of 35 millimeter prints that they project there uh, or, you know, new 4K restorations or whatever. So yeah. going back to that uh, is always exciting for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, my, my run with horror movies has been more or less recent mm, in the last. Yeah. Uh, five years where I've really invested a lot of time. So, you know, each October it's more uh, exploring movies I haven't seen, which mm. has been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember recent. I mean, this was in the last couple of years that you had a, uh, you watched, I think it was a January release, which is an odd time for this, but the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that you were Oh, the Netflix. About. Yeah. They, they made one. Yep. Yeah. I remember you raving about that one. That was yeah. That was good. super fun. Cool. Well, also in terms of movie news this week, uh, we get a release of Killers of the Flower Moon comes out October 20th, yep. um, which looks to be very interesting. I know that uh, you are exhausted by, by Leo, <laughs> um, but yeah. I have high hopes for, um, for it in general. Uh, there's some other actors there uh, that are in that film that look to be yeah, no amazing. Doubt. Um, what, well, I think this is the release? first uh, first De Niro, DiCaprio uh, collaboration. Oh. Um, and these are, you know, t- the two muses of, uh, Scorsese historically. Right. So, <laughs> uh, it's always a big deal to try to get De Niro and Pacino together. Um, right. And they've only done that three or four times, but I don't think DiCaprio and De Niro have been together and certainly not in a Scorsese movie. So there's some anticipation around that, I think. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I, I'm, I'm looking forward to just in this film um, not only do we have uh, those two brilliant actors, but we also have John Lithgow. 
Yeah. Um, and Jesse Plemons. Oh, yeah, Jesse Plemons. Always a great character actor. I love Jesse Plemons. I don't know why, but, like, just seeing him in films, like, I think, I don't know. I just always, I, I first, obviously, thing I ever saw him in was uh, Breaking Bad. Um, yeah. And he played such an interesting character yeah. in that show. Um, and then, obviously, to see uh, um, to see him here, he's played, like, some good comedic performances as well so i'm waiting waiting to see what that is but john lithgow uh all-time favorite well, yeah. uh, actor um hasn't quite replaced sam rockwell which is i think probably my favorite actor of all yeah. time um anyway without yeah, further ado today's episode we're really excited uh we've covered some of his films before um but we're gonna be talking about wes anderson just as a as a director um overall and we've got some great thoughts on there i have some favorite films Kyle, you've got some favorite films. Mm -hmm. But maybe for some listeners who have not ever watched a Wes Anderson film or maybe just heard about him, can you help our um, listeners kind of maybe have some context for Wes Anderson, his style, or whatever you feel like would be important to share with them? Yeah, well, first of all, um, you may know this if you're on the streaming services, but uh, Netflix produced um, a – well, first of all, they they basically bought the rights to the rolled – doll catalog right mm. which includes matilda and charlie and the chocolate factory um james and the giant peach and uh, all those things associated fantastic mr fox is part oh, of that yeah. wes anderson yeah. adaptation um and so they've got the rights to that and they're wanting to produce you know as many of those works as possible uh so wes anderson has done four shorts based on four of the doll doll short uh stories um, and so you can get a great glimpse there because uh, Dole is a huge influence on the Anderson style of storytelling, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, uh, uh, a lot of listeners have probably seen Fantastic Mr. Fox. Whether you knew it was a Wes Anderson movie or not, you know, if you mm-hmm. watched it as a kid, you may not have known that. But, um, but the oh. quirky characters, uh, quirky situations, uh, the, you know, kind of uh, interesting... Mm-hmm. Uh, aesthetic of you know both both of the storytellers, uh, whether you're reading or watching, mm-hmm. definitely fits like a glove. Uh, and even watching, uh, so my 13 year old daughter and I watched Moonrise Kingdom mm-hmm. uh, a week ago or so, which was the follow up to Fantastic Mr. Fox. Right. Um, and you can see almost immediately like a very rolled doll uh, kind <laughs> of influence on that storytelling as well as Charlie Brown. Right. Um, and some other things that, uh, you know, the claymation, the, you know, the Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, cl- mm-hmm. claymation style, uh, all those things have influenced influenced Wes uh, for sure. But Wes comes out of the independent movement of the 90s mm-hmm. um, and the uh, Sundance uh, Film Festival, which is where they first submitted the short film of Bottle Rocket before mm-hmm. it was a full-length film submitted a black and white of that uh and wes anderson's from texas and owen wilson and luke all who work together all from texas um so if you know anything about texas austin texas is a big you know uh university town uh very arts uh centric kind of area so a lot of the filmmakers and musicians who are more alternative country you know independent filmmakers from that area kind of all kind of come there and and are just a very creative energy around all that Mm-hmm. Um, and so Wes comes out of that tradition, even though, you know, he, you know, makes movies about every place in a sense mm-hmm. all around the world. Uh, his roots are there. And, and a lot of times you can get that vibe from his characters, mm-hmm. I would say very much. Anyways. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I love that. I mean, yeah. I think the first, um, 
Wes Anderson movie that I watched, I was unprepared for, was Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then I, you know, I watched, I mean, I mean, there's a ton. I mean, I've, I've seen Fantastic Mr. Fox, obviously, and I mean, but a long time ago. I mean, the movie that made the biggest impact was um, Steve Zizou and the Life Aquatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, my favorite Wes Anderson film. Yeah. Um, I really like Asteroid City, so um, that's been really great. I, the thing I love about, and I, I think I mentioned this to you before we started, about um, Wes Anderson films is like it's a really great thing to watch after you watch a Christopher Nolan movie, <laughs> just for the aesthetic palate cleanser. Yeah, right. Um, and they use a lot of this. I mean, they use the same actors, and and I mean, in a lot of cases. But like, I just I also enjoy seeing. So, for example, I watched uh, like I'll never forget the um, um, I think it was Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, I watched that after I saw the second Hulk movie where um, mm-hmm. where you had, um, oh. Norton. Norton, yeah, yep. and Norton in both. And I was like, this is really great to see the range. Yeah, no Norton. doubt. Um, Incredible. And because it's one of those things that, like, you know, here's this Marvel movie, very canned, and he does, I mean, I thought he did that really well. I was sad to see him go. But then here he is in this, like, very um, different role that's very um, lighthearted in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember, like, him... Like, you know, like he doesn't, uh, I mean, like any camp counselor wouldn't let him curse around the kids. And so, like, they, you know, using that kind of language and just kind of his spirit and affect was really beautiful and powerful. So, if you ever, like, find yourself, like, slipping into, a, uh, like, some type of depression as a result of watching Nolan films, uh, I would highly recommend popping in a, like, Moonrise Kingdom Absolutely. or something like that. But I watched, I remember, um, The Life Aquatic because it's all about, in some sense, this kind of, like, uh, pseudo kind of revenge like uh, trip where um, Zizu is like going after this sea monster that claimed the life of his friend that's that right no one believes exists and in some sense it's a trip of healing for him mm-hmm. and I was in a season of needing healing myself mm-hmm. and I, it's weird like that scene where he finally and everyone like including his son um, his you know obviously his romantic interest and just like his crew see the monster right there's a sense in which that like that kind of compassion yeah that that kind of final shot was really powerful for me absolutely um and i love that i don't know it's it is it is a sense and i mean i i could see why this would fit your vibe because of the things we've talked about like in all of the cases with some maybe exceptions i feel like healing is a big part of the story arc that wes anderson um brings to his absolutely um and it's funny because like there's i mean i don't do you watch honest trailers ever no okay i know about them and that's why i avoid them but yes i I mean i find i think some of them are actually quite hilarious some of them i think are kind of dumb but they do one for all of wes anderson's film and they poke fun of the fact that it's like here's a major family conflict and here's some plans that go awry and here's a love triangle yeah right like through across like rushmore moonrise kingdom royal tenenbaums you know and just there's all these kind of consistent themes, but I think that's on purpose because mm-hmm. if you, we're talking about pilot cleansers, right? If you're going to offer something truly alternative to mainstream media, I mean, even going back to what we were talking about with Joker all those years ago, yep. like you need something that's consistent, right? And that's yep. anyway, but um, do you have thoughts on that kind of like the, the kind of like reappearing themes that you see across his corpus? I do, man. I have infinite thoughts. Oh, I love that. that. Yeah, right. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I think that that uh, is obviously very much on purpose. Um, You know, starting starting with Bottle Rocket, but I'll jump to Rushmore because that's typically more of a prominent first uh, of the early films of uh, Wes Anderson. 
Um, but so Max Fisher, mm-hmm. you know, um, is the classic kind of Wes Anderson character who right. you're going to see again as, you know, fantastic Mr. Fox, Fox himself. Um, and certainly Bill Murray in uh, as Steve Zissou, uh, Gene Hackman in Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. Um, and so kind of across the board, you're going to get this pretty strong narcissistic character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one, uh, routinely, Wes Anderson just has this very uh, compassionate lens around personality disorders, mm-hmm. um, which are, you know, uh, in real life, uh, some of the most difficult people you're ever going to meet and, right. and come uh, into contact with. Um, and, uh, but beneath the surface, you know, in terms of coming from a mental health perspective and, and working with people with personality disorders, growing up with people with personality disorders, um, you know, there's a lot beneath the surface and basically a personality disorder is like the, you know, ultra like Iron Man, uh, outfit of mm-hmm. like defense mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my walls are up <clears throat> and it's usually not even conscious, uh, but it's like, you know, you're not, you're not going to penetrate in here cause there's a very, you know, scared, vulnerable child, whatever inside, mm-hmm. um, that I'm protecting on purpose. Um, and so Wes Anderson gives a lot of, um, you know, life and comedy to mm. this kind of character, uh, a lot of compassion and you get to see, uh, at, you know, different moments, you know, uh, beneath the hood, so, to, so to speak. Um, and it, and each one. Uh, I think most resolutely in Darjeeling Limited, which yes. is why it's my favorite, but um, you really get, you know, a spiritual journey for these characters mm-hmm. um, that, you know, at some point everything does break down, right? right? Uh, at some point, um, you know, you're, you're confronted uh, with your limitations and, and uh, confronted again, often in humorous ways. Um, and, and fun, but all the while, you know, typically there's a, uh, a building around this character of community mm-hmm. of a number of things happening that by the time you get to the end of the movie, mm-hmm. um, not only is something resolved, but significant things are reconciled. So right. by the time you get to the end of Rushmore, Bill Murray plays a great role in that, um, as well. But, you know, uh, at the end of Max's, you know, final play that he puts on, uh, he's literally brought all these characters who've been in conflict, who've been mm. accepted, rejected, manipulated, you know, abused uh, or abused by um, in some way are all now together, you know, mm-hmm. have in mm-hmm. this dance. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, and something's been learned and something's been healed. Um, and so that's, you know, the quality you're going to get. And so what's interesting about. Uh, Wes moving into deeper into the 2000s, you know, with the Dark Knight, um, yeah. the 2008 uh, economic collapse, the politics of the 2000s is by 2007 when No Country for Old Men uh, wins the Oscar that year and no, There Will Be Blood uh, is very popular. Um, and a lot of movies are starting to explore more cynical, more political themes. Right, yeah. Um, as this way of like contending politics. Uh, uh, you know, politically. Um, and so West released Star Dealing Limited in 2007, mm-hmm. uh, in this almost, you know, uh, inadvertently probably obstinate way, um, <laughs> of telling, you know, again, the spiritual journey, uh, about a very narcissistic character and his brothers, uh, all struggling with the loss of their father a year later and their moms abandoned them. Uh, and they're all addicted to pain meds. 
um, and uh, and X Y Z. So you've got you know that whole thing happening uh, that um, becomes a spiritual journey. Then you've got Fox in 2010 and Moonrise Kingdom in 2012. And then a different era begins, uh, really, the Grand Budapest Hotel, I would say, mm-hmm. in 2018. Right. But again, it sees moves, certainly with Isle of Dogs, uh, in, right there in the Trump era, 2018, I think, uh, leading up to Asteroid City now, and just seeing, like, he's been the really shift uh, in with Grand Budapest was, you know, pushing deeper into grief, pressing deeper into tragedy. Right, yeah. Um, in, in his storytelling. Uh, in a very layered way, layered storytelling ways, you know, layers on layers. Um, and still, you know, pushing in terms of, you know, my my guilt to grief uh, perspective from mm-hmm. early on that I carry. He um, is really the torchbearer filmmaker uh, mm-hmm. for me regarding that. In addition to, you know, visually speaking, mm-hmm. uh, comes across as what people would experience as, you know, artificial. And mm-hmm. if you see these new movies in particular, uh, you're going to get to see this whole layered artificiality, uh, theatrical, um, in a lot of ways, but, um, but anyways, you know, he's pressing in deeper to that as he's also being made fun of and criticized, you know, with these different, you know, the honest trailers and, and, right, yeah, yeah. um, what, you know, SNL did a Wes Anderson Halloween spoof at one point, you know, just, uh, different ways, but, uh, and there's been an AI, like AI Wes Anderson characters, right, yeah. right? So it's very easy to, like, you know, emulate. Um, but in a way, I mean, that's the h- history of uh, movies for 100 years or more uh, is obviously the studio system. Inside the studio, everything was artificial. Mm. Um, and that's kind of the root, the core of, you know, storytelling theatrically and in, ter- and in cinema. Um, and so when you talk about that contrast to Chris Nolan and what people really demand nowadays, and even with the superhero movies of being very realistic, um, not just realistic looking, uh, but also realistic in terms of, you know, cynicism and, mm-hmm. and those kind of things. And people are very quick to pinpoint plot holes and, you know, and all this you know kind of stuff. Right. Uh, where, you know, a good story doesn't have to fill all those gaps. One, uh, and then two, the artificial uh, presents its own kind of layers, what you're able to do with in horror in the 80s um, with you know, gory special effects and whatever is a whole different experience than something very realistic, you know, uh, in, in today's terms, which, again, have their own um, value. Uh, but Wes is just not willing to, you know, basically leave the 20th century. Uh, you always shooting on 35 millimeter, you know, just very much a like movie guy. Yeah. And the actors who work with him, you know, work on, I mean, they get paid minimum, basically. They're getting paid less than $100,000 each uh, to come in and work with him. That's how much they enjoy working with him, one. And two, you know, his budgets are small. So he's still very much an independent filmmaker. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so just so much about the quality of, you know, the respect uh, for him by other actors um, and the kind of joy around movie making with him. Um, and then, yeah, just the hopeful uh, themes, concerns, experiences happening right. uh, through his movies are incredible. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that's innately attractive to him. I mean, a lot of people do find the – the kind of the aesthetic shift and the like the kind of the ways that certain actors carry themselves i mean with asteroid city for example like it's very um you know some of it feels very dry in the sense that there's not a lot of emoting 
happening between certain characters but like i think that focuses up on the dialogue at that point the kind of like um uh monotone kind of like uh, acting but mm-hmm. um so for example like the um uh, the main actor uh for uh asteroid city jason like, schwartzman yep. yeah jason schwartzman like obviously he's in rushmore too um but he was in also the, the spider-man film and so like he's getting obviously paid big bucks to do the spider-man sure. thing then also here he is does asteroid city yeah very different kinds like if you look at those two films very different kinds of performances from him which i think is really valuable and again highlights i think the message of the film i mean and you got like tom hanks making an appearance you're always gonna i'm always gonna like pop big for a tom hanks well, yeah appearance. no doubt but you know and and um the thing i love about what you're describing here in the sense that like some of these films like no country for old men and and there will be blood like they're they're kind of labeled as these edgy films that try and like critique the mainstream but in a certain sense they've become the mainstream Mm -hmm. like in a different way um that uh they don't really highlight in some sense like wes still sits outside of that through his kind of like trenchant not direct critique but i think through his just like um persistent messaging because i mean one of the big things we we could talk about this is family yeah in all of his films absolutely and i always i think of the kind of tortured relationship between like bill murray and owen wilson and steve zizu mm-hmm. uh, and life aquatic and i love i don't know i love that tension i mm-hmm. mean we'll leave the romantic element aside for a second um with the reporter um, mm-hmm. um but i think that in a certain sense there is this like powerful father-son story going on inside of that amidst bill murray's grief absolutely um and i think that plays this huge kind of i mean at least for me this huge kind of role in understanding like um like various i mean you're the family therapy guy like Mm -hmm. you understand family systems better than i do like the the way in which like grief itself perpetuates certain dishealth and disharmony um generationally Mm -hmm. when passed down through different people and i think owen wilson and bill murray pull off like the perfect awkward dynamic Mm -hmm. of someone who's experiencing this grief and this kind of weird strained father-son relationship yeah and that's i think pretty significant across i mean all of wes anderson i even think of like the strain between um jason schwartzman and his kids and the father-in-law of the wife that passed away um you know Mm -hmm. i think that there's some really powerful family themes here the way that um asteroid city does it obviously there's a whole bunch of others too i mean even rushmore um and you even talked about um uh your favorite movie it's a it's a darjeeling darjeeling it's a a movie about brothers yep losing their father that's right the mom abandoning and that kind of thing too i mean so when you see the family from a family systems perspective what do you think wes anderson is trying to tell us through this like really consistent emphasis on dysfunctions in families yeah and in moonrise kingdom uh to um i forget his name at the moment sam uh is an orphan basically and he's been in a foster home mm-hmm. um <clears throat> and uh and he, his character ends up getting adopted by the bruce willis um mm-hmm. uh character in that one but then there's an, you know bill murray's also in that one his family is the family of Susie, who's you know run away with sam right um and those dynamics are playing out in an interesting way that i'll come back to but uh and then <clears throat> Fantastic Mr. Fox might be <clears throat> uh, the one of the easiest highlights in terms of like their family and George Clooney's, you know, the voice of Fox, but uh, Fox isn't, he doesn't want to live in a foxhole anymore. He wants to live <laughs> up in a tree. So it's like, it's just 
such relatable, you know, kind of concerns and, um, and struggles. And even if you're not a narcissist yourself, you're just, right. you know, uh, contending with discontent in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're wanting, you know, something that's really, you know, not necessarily even mm-hmm. necessary or rational or would be help, helpful, right. which is the whole thing that happens, right? Is that not only does he, uh, make things really difficult for his family. He ends up making really things really difficult for the entire animal kingdom surrounding right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the tree and bogus Bunsen bean um, and all of that. And so, um, but anyways, yeah, I, I think uh, family itself is just uh, such a relatable thing. Right. Uh, whatever part of it you're talking about, but in Darjeeling Limited, you know, Owen Wilson's character is the oldest brother narcissistic um and out of his narcissism wanting to get his brothers together and Mm. take them on a spiritual journey with which he's created an itinerary for (laughs) 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 right so he's in complete control of the spiritual journey which is opposing and and highly humorous but of course things fall apart that's right yeah (laughs) and when things fall apart they're literally carrying all their baggage around with them and a lot of times the characters are very wealthy they're very wealthy tenenbaums are very wealthy right yeah um and so also contending and this is very prominent um in in the new netflix henry sugar short uh almost a christmas carol kind Mm. of tale Mm -hmm. um but again you know that uh money in this very biblical wisdom kind of way uh, not only is it, you know, um, not helpful or beneficial, it's, mm. you know, harmful. Mm. Um, and so as they uh, contend with things off the train into mm-hmm. the wild, uh, they begin to learn all kinds of things and, th- and, and actually start healing and actually right, yeah. start um, recovering from their addictions. Um, mm, and mm-hmm. those kind of things are happening. Um, but anyways... Yeah, I think the role of family conflict or the role of being abandoned by your family um, or not having a family mm-hmm. in the context of all these other people and communities, uh, it's just kind of endless mm-hmm. uh, amounts of um, angles mm-hmm. with which to dig into the psychology of these characters. And you right. talked about, you know, the kind of instead of the melodrama, you get the awkwardness. But the brilliant thing, and I think I talked about this about Asteroid City, is right. like the use of eyes. Mm-hmm. So just seeing somebody's eyes water up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and not go into a full-on, you know, uh, crying or rage or, you know, whatever. Uh, sometimes those things happen, but they're, again, very, like, restrained. Right. Um, and so restraining it, but showing it and it being brief and then moving, but it's powerful. Um, and so catching, especially going back to it, but it leaves you with that, but not for so long that we want to like, you know, um, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know what you don't want to do there, but, um, (laughs) you're, you're moving to the next thing because in real life it is awkward. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to stay there either. Right. Uh, necessarily. And, but you do want to acknowledge it and, and, uh, in some ways, it just feels more human mm. uh, in that experience rather than, you know, a big, uh, you know, with a lot of biopics, you get the, you know, uh, heavier melodramatic kind of content uh, preparing whichever actor to win the award for best actor that year or whatever. Mm. Um, and so, you know, Wes's style definitely resists that and puts us back into that. All these layers that, again, are always there. Like, it's mm-hmm. funny. Uh 
and but it's also painful um and it's awkward and it's all these things and so package that um he just continues to improve on that yeah artistically in some sense it's the uh what is it that like like the artist uh is never fit like the art artistic work is never finished yeah no doubt uh in a certain sense i mean then his medium obviously is is out there and i mean i love that um i mean i guess the quirkiness of it so i mean i brought up uh you know moonrise kingdom as like an example of like really interesting quirkiness and because i mean you do have like edward ed norton right Mm -hmm. very quirky bruce willis playing a very unbelievable yeah like quirky character which shows you his range like obviously for most of the 80s and 90s he was typecast as an action star and i mean i love i mean I love Die Hard more than anyone, yeah. um, obviously, so I'm not going to bash that well, stuff. Sure, absolutely. But he's got incredible range um, in terms of that. Um, and like that's one of the things I really deeply appreciate about that film is that there is this quirky awkwardness um, that is built into, I mean, or baked into the Wes Anderson style that really highlights the um, how these things, like grief, how they can really dramatically alter kind of not just perception but just like a real understanding of time movement i mean like the obviously like the was it the um like the the timing the uh um the kind of plotting of the films like the the structure of it like i mean i I know that like certain like i was reading a a book by a screenwriter who's talking about like you know the, the goal of the movie is to make the audience kind of like move along like with their timing in a way that like it doesn't feel like it's dragging at all um, but I mean, I feel like the thing that's lost in that, and that dr- like that loss of dragginess, is like mm-hmm. the inability to sit with these yeah, right. complex things. Because sometimes we're just like match cut next scene. Yep. Um, and instead, there's this you got to sit with it in, yep. a, in a certain sense for for a lot of while. I mean, Moonrise Kingdom I think does this really well too. Um, which also leads me to my I mean, you, you mentioned it with uh, Darjeeling, like the uh, like the idea of the plans going awry is another piece of. Yeah, the, the Wes Anderson, and I think my favorite is the Moonrise Kingdom, like that approaching storm, which mm, I feel yeah. like storms. And I mean, you could probably say more about this. The image of the storm is itself already a really powerful, absolutely um, biblical. Yeah, exactly, and just a really powerful and interesting um, imagery. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on kind of? And you don't have to just focus on Moonrise Kingdom, but this uh, this idea of like plans going awry and then having to fix it or like move it or like partner with people you hadn't partnered with before obviously in moonrise kingdom the adults have to form this search party to find the kids mm-hmm. before the storm destroys them right yeah right um but i mean the plans go awry for me like literally like it's an important message because you're not always in control like the darjeeling character wants to be like owen wilson wants to be um and tragedy and and calamity is something that just happens and you have to be aware that that there are things outside of your control and that's you can't master everything. Yeah, <laughs> which I, what a great message, right? You can't control everything. Well, yeah. Um, but I mean, do you have thoughts on like why mm-hmm. he, why this is a huge part of his uh, work? Well, again, yeah, I think you know since the Bible, it's obviously a huge part of you know storytelling. Right. Um, <clears throat> God shows up in the tornado, tornado and Job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom overtly references Noah mm. um, in the little children's play they're having inside mm-hmm. the church. Um, and you know, so the storms are, are very important whether you're talking about, um, again, or Jesus, uh, Jonah or Jesus stopping the storm, um, and the role of water in general, in terms of baptismal qualities that I've Mm -hmm. talked about before in movies. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, some would say, 
uh, that, you know, true authentic spirituality is learning to mm-hmm. let go of control. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that being in control and seeking se- security and, and, uh, having that defensive, you know, defense mechanism posture to protect yourself, protect your heart, protect your money, have insurance, um, all these kind of things you can do, not just in the modern world, but, you know, always to have extra crops and have extra, uh, you know, whatever, so that we survive. It's very natural. Um, and so it's not to be judged, obviously. Um, but true spirituality, especially in relationship to God, uh, is going to happen when we're not in control mm. and we need God, mm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we're you know, too good at uh, right. securing ourselves, protecting ourselves, controlling our world, mm-hmm. um, and even if we're, you know, quote-unquote Christian, right, that we mm-hmm. can... Uh, use the law as a way of controlling ourselves and controlling right. others, uh, we still, you know, never really learned to, you know, the, the, the deeper meaning and experience of Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, which was not Christ uh, over, you know, um, overcoming Rome with military and mm-hmm. taking control, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, it, it was something far more... And so, and again, thing I go on about butterflies, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and the the death and resurrection nature of again, that's the ultimate form of letting go of control. Right. Um, and and rebirth and resurrection cannot happen without that. So, mm-hmm. uh, spiritually speaking, and not just in Christianity, but in other uh, spiritual uh, religion, spiritual traditions, and and religions that that you know can be prominent. Um, as a way of understanding life and understanding things that are hard in life. And so mm-hmm. as West goes around the world to India, to Japan, um, to uh, France, I think, in in um, Grand Budapest, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. or since Budapest, maybe it's Romania. Um, but during World War II, you know, you get all these places where, you know, you're contending with control that you don't have. Um, so they immediately put you into the, you know, uh, uh, podcast or so ago you mentioned into the wild which is a story that i've spent a lot of time with um christopher McCandless. Mm-hmm. but you know that whole uh even from his you know kind of narcissistic pursuit of it right you know still ended up uh experiencing um the spiritual thing that he was you know ultimately looking for sure um and uh and his story is a way you know removing it from just his personal story as something that uh, for him, is almost unachievable. You mm-hmm. know, you can. The world is so small now, right? Um, that they keep showing images in that movie, and when he's in Alaska, of him looking up and still seeing jets flying across the skies. Right. A, you know, an image they come back to um, that you just can't. There's not a wild place left, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so to speak. And so it's just really uh, fascinating that that. West is just honed in on this, but this is also the history of great storytelling. Right, it's yeah. a wonderful life. Uh, obviously, all through the Bible, uh, through Shakespeare, through Russian literature, mm. um, Moby Dick, which is a huge influence on that's right. Um, you know, Life Aquatic. So, yes. um, all these things are just something he's honing in on, and in his own quirky, uh, artificial kind of way, coming mm-hmm. back to which is. Um, something I could obviously just keep talking about. Yeah, I, my favorite. Well, my favorite. It's just funny with Moby Dick. I I always come back to the Ron Swanson quote. He's like, I really like Moby Dick. It's just a guy about a boat and a fish, 
and there's no political overtones or anything like that. <laughs> I just really love that. Um, yep. But, but like, I, I think that's, I mean, it's one of those things that like, I mean, it's the same, same reason why I think I struggle with someone like Terrence Malick. Like his movies are just, their movies, both Wes Anderson and, and his are just so different. Yeah. From what you see and like what we're used to kind of taking in. Yep. Um, and like the way in which it challenges, but also highlights unique ways in which we are human. Um, Absolutely. Like I, I think I remember once I uh, like thinking of just like the kind of like control element, like being able to control things. The um, like the Taken series of like being able to like go in and like mm-hmm. you know exact that kind of re- that that contrasted with something like the Life Aquatic, where there's this kind of like um, inescapability of suffering that right. you're just going to experience in life, yeah. and you just have to make peace with that. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that Wes Anderson brings to Absolutely. the mainstream and why his films continue to be relevant in a world where Joker and uh, uh, all these other films like um, that uh, I think are pretty, pretty cynical. I mean, you talk about the spiritual journeys that we see in a lot of different characters. Um, the, the spiritual journeys that Wes offers, I think, offer us like a, I think a powerful kind of respite from um, the, uh, I think, as you put it, the... Uh, um, cynical mm-hmm. um, films of our age, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I will say though, my favorite, my favorite theme that comes up again and again is the idea of romance. <laughs> like mm. Rushmore, it's kind of funny. Um, I, I, but I mean, obviously, there's this weird kind of love triangle in the Life Aquatic between this reporter, mm-hmm. um, Bill and his dad. And for me, this is the reason why I like it is that like romance, especially romance in like film. I think of like the Nicholas Spark era, Sparks era of, of movie making. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's always very canned and it's always got this very like arc of like perfection, right? Leading yep. into the, I mean, but romance in real life is awkward. It's messy. Mm-hmm. It's weird, mm-hmm. you know. And I like Wes is one of the only guys that I've ever read that uh, read, sorry, that I've ever watched mm-hmm. that I think captures more accurately the internal. Um, kind of feeling. Maybe you don't actually have a love triangle with your dad, but the awkwardness of courting <laughs> someone on a submarine yeah, itself, right. I think communicates the internal feeling mm-hmm. of what romance actually is like for absolutely. a lot of people, existentially speaking. Right, absolutely. So romance well and said. family. Uh, romance and family, I feel like he just, he captures so well, not even just like the actual like dialogue maybe or whatever, but like the actual like internal feeling mm-hmm. that these things cultivate within us. As well, humans. again, so that's to, to me cinematic, right? Mm-hmm. That is cinema. And it's not just purely cinema. It's obviously in literature and, and everywhere else. But the sense, and that is kind of in a way one of the primary goals of cinema mm-hmm. and good um, art, mm-hmm. uh, good art in movie making is to communicate something internal right mm. through a visual expression right um and uh, and again scorsese does that um brilliantly often and so uh i think that's super super well said and again the point of the artificial um in terms of his movie making or anything that that allows you to it's artificial on purpose because it's there to stand in 
for an experience that otherwise right. cannot be communicated, right? Uh, internally speaking, mm. um, and and again, yeah, even in terms of the family conflict dynamics and whatever, and the awkwardness and and the grief and those things, just mm. as a way of being not realistic about that, but not realistic gives us, I think, you know, potentially more empathy mm-hmm. internally, as you just so well expressed. Yeah, and I think an access into a point because obviously you're drawn in by this weird. I mean, again, just to go back to the life aquatic, you know, you're drawn into the, the, the weirdness of the dynamic, but there's something, I don't know, the yearning there, the kind of just like, um, and also like, I, I love the idea that you communicate the unfulfilledness of it. Um, it doesn't have to have a resolution. Yeah. Because oftentimes we, I mean, we talk about closure in relationships and closure in family, but for a lot of people, they don't get that. I mean, due to death or due to other, you know, circumstances beyond the control, again, another Wes Anderson trope. Right. Um, you, you have the sense in which like you have to find healing sometimes without the closure that you think you're going to get mm-hmm. from relationships. And that's, that's one thing I deeply appreciate too about it. I mean, even as life aquatic ends, um, you have this sense of like the incompleteness of a lot of stories, but that's just a part of life is learning how to live in the wake of that. In mm-hmm. a certain sense. And I, I really value that um, very much in a filmmaker that makes me contemplate and just it's, it feels like solidarity in a sense with the real human experience absolutely um that kind of thing so totally i can talk agree. about that infinitely <laughs> yeah so i think if you take all this into the new uh short films the first henry sugar's uh 40 minutes long with the second or third um the next three uh are all 17 minutes long oh wow uh, and they're all very potent um, and so highly recommend, you know, going in with some of these perspectives to watching those. I think you'll very much enjoy it. Yeah. And those are, are they like grouped together under something or are they all separate? Well, if you go to, you know, if you just search for Henry Sugar and go to that one and then down, it will show the other three. Okay. But yeah. Are um, they all titled Henry Sugar? Nope. Nope. Okay. Uh, they're all the actual titles. So the rat catcher, the swan and poison are the other three. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the poison. Uh, poison. Uh, who's that star again? Is that? That's not Michael Fassbender, is it? Um, poison. Sorry. Well, so the the uh, cast of the characters is all the same, or the cast uh, is in and out of each of them. But Benedict Cumberbatch is yeah, the that's primary the one. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he's in the primary guy in Henry Sugar and uh, and and Poison. Yeah. Do you have a recommended? Obviously, starting with Henry Sugar, but. Uh, do you have a recommended order for the remainder of the three? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, they were re- released, uh, Henry Sugar, The Swan, The Rat Catcher, and Poison, if you want to, uh, because they released one each day, which was fun, uh, the previous week. Okay. Um, so you can go that route if you want, but it's, you know, not, it's not necessary. Okay, uh, cool. There, there are four different, um, stories. Mm-hmm. And The Rat Catcher does give you a glimpse of what a Wes Anderson horror movie might have looked like, you know, or might mm-hmm. look like if he ever goes yeah. there. That's um, awesome. <laughs> and and that's probably the most um, you know uh, entertaining one. Um, but the Swan and Poison are you know just very meaningful works. Maybe wow. the Ratcatcher is too. I just haven't mm-hmm. caught it yet. Um, but yeah, wow, that's great. Yeah. Well, if you had to like um, first again for our viewers who maybe want to dive in, they do the shorts. Um, they're l- wanting to go next. I mean, obviously you'd probably say Darjeeling would be your top choice. Would you have maybe like two or three other recommendations of like your top kind of Wes, Ander fil- Wes Anderson films in no particular order? 
Yeah. Uh, well, I think Rushmore is a great one to go back to because it is definitely, um, you know, it's an interesting layer with Wes Anderson because he's a, a director, you know, he's, he's controlling the environment, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a layer there, too, of his own projection onto these characters in control, losing control, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you get the sense, uh, one, that Rushmore and Bottle Rocket, mm-hmm. both the early ones, are a little bit more loose. Mm-hmm. Um, but Max Fisher continues to be kind of the stand-in. Uh, like autobiographical stand-in, it feels like, for Wes Anderson's own experience in high school. Um, and Max is, you know, he makes these crazy plays based off of movies until you get that, but his personality, the whole thing. So that's a great one to go back to. Um, and as we said, uh, the uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, I love that era. So Darjeeling, Fox, and, and Moonrise. Okay. Uh, but then again, once you get to... Um, Grand Budapest, you know, the turn towards uh, darker themes is there if you're looking for, you know, the darker, yeah. um, uh, potentially more cynical Wes Anderson, which I don't mm-hmm. think is ultimately true, but yeah. um, but you get, you know, some deeper themes in there. And my, my son would, has a good argument for Grand Budapest, um, and it's one of his favorites. So, mm, yeah. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Well, um, that's right. I will obviously just throw in there. Just don't forget about Steve Zazu. <laughs> that's right, man. That's like, don't forget. I mean, I think I had a friend recently rank all time where his favorites were to kind of put Asteroid City where he thought it would be kind of in um, his uh, top, like, you know, I forget how many films he had in yeah. there. And uh, Steve Zazu ranked really low on the list, and I was, I was just very... I was very distraught by that. Um, but <laughs> well, but everything you said about it is true about any of the movies. This is the one yeah. you connected with, and yeah. I think that's the also what we're yeah. all kind of drawn to in terms yeah. of our favorites. But like yeah. I said, you know, I think before, uh, even if it's true that somehow you know Life Aquatic is the actual worst Wes Anderson movie, that's right. <laughs> it's still a Wes Anderson movie, yeah. right? Like it's still a Hitchcock movie. It's still a Scorsese movie. Um, we're still talking about one of the best movies of the 21st century and right. life aquatics. So yeah. don't, don't let that be uh, some deterrent because it's definitely, yeah. yeah, definitely there. It's like the, uh, the worst meal at the five-star restaurant, right? That's like, right. It's like, it's still really You're good. Still be happy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, any final thoughts as we're wrapping up here? I don't think so, man. Only thing I didn't get into with Darjeeling, but the funeral sequence there, mm. uh, this is one of the reasons one, just one of the most beautiful sequences of the 21st century. Um, and is really the reason that that is one of my, probably my favorite movie of the 21st century. So, um, great filmmaking, very sensitive, great contrast, um and great character development all, all kinds of stuff going on there but uh look if you watch that movie look out for that yeah okay well I, that's something to keep in mind as we're kind of working towards that so check out these films let us know what you think about them but that'll about do it for us uh we're heading into uh october so we're gonna have some more things on the horizon we'll be talking about uh, killers of the flower moon here shortly but um, we got some other great things to check out here in a little bit make sure to stay tuned to our socials um, not only ours individually, but the uh, Art House Roadshow uh, main socials as well. But until then, we'll see you next time. Leave us a review. Best way for people to uh, find us. But until then, we'll see you. Stay safe and be kind. We'll see you next time. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.